Hello, and welcome to episode 115 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Joshua Yu to The Modern Manager community. I look forward to supporting you through the members-only Slack group and through the additional members-only content. Now, if you are listening and curious about what membership entails, go to themodernmanager.com join to learn more. Today's guest is Kit Krugman. Kit is the head of organization and culture design at Co-Collective and the former president of WIN, Women in Innovation. Kit and I talk about the difference between storytelling and story doing, the power of simply asking, a culture of psychological safety, of course, the idea of being on a quest, and so much more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Kit, it is such a pleasure to have you today. Welcome to the show. I want to start by giving a shout out to our mutual friend, Jessica Lehman-Ash, who introduced us because she's just awesome. So yeah, I'm so happy you're here. She is awesome, and I'm really delighted to be here. So thank you for having me. So I want to start at a place around culture because actually the way that I got to meet you is because Jess invited me to a presentation you were giving, and I was fascinated. I've been doing culture work for a long time, but I was really fascinated by the way that you talked about company culture and this gap between what companies say their values are and say their company culture is and what the reality is. So maybe you could kind of walk us through this gap. Yeah. So one of the things, so at at Co-Collective, which is where I work and where I lead the organization and culture practice, our, our kind of methodology is called story doing. And the premise behind that is it's the shift from storytelling is really about businesses and brands telling a story to either their consumers or, or their employees. And our argument is that it really, a story is only as powerful as the action that follows. And so story doing is about how do you take whatever story, whatever narrative you want your customers or your employees to understand and think about the actions that follow that narrative. What do you actually do? So can you give us some examples of companies that have done a really good job of aligning what they do? with what they say they value, or maybe some examples where they have not done such a good job, just so we can kind of get a better picture of what you're talking about? Yeah, sure. So I I think the biggest challenge for organizations is they do half the battle, right? All organizations understand that it's really important to have a mission, that it's really important to have a vision, and a set of values even, but then not necessarily thinking about what does that mean in action? So just to give you a little background before I go into um, specific examples, I would say I really come from a school of systemic thinking and I think of things in loops. So for instance, when you want to see a certain behavior in an organization, then you need to look at essentially the systems, the structure, the signals, what are the things that you're doing to support that behavior? Right. And so an example of, of someone who are an organization that that has not done that well, I, I like using the Boeing example. So, you know, because it was such a, a prominent example in the news, you know, one of their core values is about safety. And yet somewhere down the line, people in the organization were getting signals that safety really was not the number one priority. So if you take a step back and try to understand systemically what happened there, 
it, it's clearly a value in the organization, but what was happening were managers not signaling that it was important. And if they weren't signaling that it was important, what was? And in the case of Boeing, I think it's profit started to be a little bit more important than safety. And when you start to see those kind of shifts in values, then you start to see real challenges in the showing up in the culture that ultimately end with really, really devastating results. No, I think that's such a great example. And I love that you talked about the signals that we send. And even as an individual manager, you know, I've talked to people who are like, I tell my team that I want them to go off and, you know, take ownership over things. But then the behaviors that these people take are like so micromanaging and everything that they, you know, an employee brings back to them, they're like, oh, this was wrong and this was wrong. And it it kind of the signal they're sending, right? The way they're behaving does not align to the value or the words that they're speaking out loud when they say, this is what we are, this is who we are, and this is what we want to be like. Mm-hmm. So this disconnect, or I can see it on the micro level, and then you can see how it compounds on the macro level, exactly what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. I mean, humans are very behavioral creatures. We're constantly looking to learn through modeling, right? And that's why leadership modeling is so powerful because we, we look at the signals and the behaviors of those in kind of power or authority positions, and we model our behavior unconsciously or consciously after that behavior. And so if you're working for, you know, when I work with organizations, it always makes me laugh a little bit in a good way, but just when organizations don't understand why they're seeing certain behaviors in in an organization. So for instance, let's take something simple like vacation. I've had organizations say to me, we don't understand. We really are encouraging our employees to take time off, but they keep not doing it. And we really think it's important. We actually believe that they should take time off. And then I ask the question, well, are you taking time off? And if the answer is no, then the organization is sending out signals, right? That you actually, even though we were saying that you should take time off, our senior most leaders aren't doing it. And therefore, it's not a priority. It's not important to us. And the work will continue. And so signals are really, really important because whether or not you as an individual feel like you're listening to them, seeing them, observing them, you are and you're internalizing them. Are there a couple of kind of general ways that we role model or signal? Like, are there particular things that, you know, each person who's listening can think about their own behavior? Maybe not. I'm just wondering if there's kind of like a general practice for like, how do you check in on your own signals that you're sending? Yeah. So I think, I think the most basic way to do that, there's two ways, right? There's kind of the self-management to say, when you ask someone to do something, or when you tell someone to use the kind of storytelling side of it to do something, are you doing it yourself? Or are you willing to do it yourself, right? So if you're telling someone to take vacation, have you done it yourself? And are you willing to do it? If you're telling, you're in the, you know, in this moment when people are really deciding, should we be sending our employees back into the office? Are you willing to do it? If somebody told you to go back into the office, would you? Would you feel like you had a choice, right? And so the self-management, which is, which is challenging for, for people, but the self-management of just going through the questions for yourself is really important. The other side of it is just asking, right? I think this is one of the underutilized things. So asking somebody, I'm going to tell you to do something. Tell me if that's possible and what you think the barriers would be to doing it. Oh, can you say more about that? So for instance, if you say to someone, I'm going to tell you to go back into the office and work from there. The, the employee then has a choice. They either can do that or they can push back. But if you ask them, you know, we are, we are deciding to go back into the office. Do you feel comfortable going back into the office? And what comes up for you when I ask you to do that? 
then you're going to hear really honest feedback. Well, I'm, I'm scared. I'm afraid that being in the office won't be good for my health or for my family. I'm afraid that I won't be able to see loved ones because I'm risking exposure in this moment. Or for instance, I actually don't feel like there's value. I'm actually working really productively from home. So a lot of times when we're asking people to do things, we don't necessarily create that feedback loop to understand whether or not they have a choice or what, what it means for them to make that decision and whether there's a better way. You know, I find that asking, I agree that it's an underutilized tool, but I like, I worry that people won't actually be honest when you ask them, is that just part of the broader culture that you're in? Is that part of the foundation you have to set with your team? Like, how do you ensure people will actually give you those honest answers and not tell you what they think you want to hear? So when I, when I do kind of cultural analysis, one of the things that I always look for is psychological safety. And, you know, Google did an amazing study about teamwork and, and found that the really differentiating factor in terms of teams that were able to, to be most effective and perform the best was psychological safety. And I'm a real believer in that. I think that's absolutely right. And so when I look at organizations and trying to remove barriers, I always ask the question, do you feel comfortable being honest? Do you feel comfortable speaking up? Because that's one of the number one things that contributes to the ability to innovate, to bring new ideas. And so if employees do not, or team members do not feel comfortable speaking their mind and going into conflict comfortably, then you have a systemic problem. And so if you feel like your employees can't be honest, or if your employees express to you in some kind of feedback form that they don't feel comfortable speaking up and being honest, then that's something that you need to change before anything else. You need to say, okay. I am going to tell you that I want to hear dissent, that I want to hear disagreement. And when, what are the forums to do that? And how will that information be treated? I think that one thing that, that is interesting is some people do, again, half of the work, which is to say, we want you to speak up. We want you to, and then they, they don't care for that information, right? So if you're going to ask, you need to think about what you're going to do, how you're going to respond. And you have to do a lot of self-management, right? Someone might say something you don't want to hear. And if they do, how are you going to respond? And how are you going to use that moment to signal to the rest of the organization that you're able to hear dissent, that you're able to hear disagreement, and that you are going to care for that information? Yeah, I'm wondering if there are particular phrases. Like I know when someone gives me feedback or says something to me that spikes my defensiveness, like I try to have my auto responder on, which is like, okay, give me a second to think about this. Mm-hmm. So that I don't say something really bad <laughs> in that moment of frustration and kind of defensiveness and feeling like, wait a second, I wasn't expecting you to hear, to say that to me. Are there things that managers can do, either phrases or ways that they can kind of prepare themselves for those moments so that when someone comes to you and disagrees because you've said, I want to hear what you actually think and be honest and tell me when you disagree or tell me what's not working that you don't immediately revert to a defensive or an attack mode, but you kind of give yourself that time or that response to say, no, I'm actually going to listen and thoughtfully care for what you're saying and reinforce that idea that I do want you to speak up. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the biggest things that I believe, and this goes back to the self-management moment, is the most powerful thing you can do as a manager is to know yourself and to know your own reactions. So what makes you defensive and why? Do you feel like you're trying really hard and you're not being, your efforts aren't being appreciated? Is it because it's your baby and you built it? Like what, what is motivating you and why would you have a defensive reaction? Because if you think about it completely objectively, for instance, then you would realize that 
if, if you're building an organization, you want it to succeed. And so, you know, the, the benefit to you in hearing the truth and hearing honest feedback is that the organization is inevitably going to get better. So from a rational standpoint, we should, we're all incentivized to actually hear it. But from an emotional standpoint, we're not. And so the question that all managers need to ask themselves is what will evoke an emotional response in me and why? And then you can kind of use the techniques you're talking about to say, okay, if I'm going to ask for feedback, then when somebody gives me feedback, I'm going to have to take that pause and take that moment to kind of let my emotional experience wash over me, kind of break it down and then say something like, thank you. I really appreciate the honesty. Let me think about that. Or one thing I always suggest to managers too is engaging people in the problem solving, right? To say, thank you for sharing that. Have you spent any time thinking about how we could address that? I would love your input. Oh, I love that answer. Uh, So, so good. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about this idea of a quest, because I think in terms of motivation, which you had just talked about, it made me think about this quest concept that you had mentioned in your talk that I got to hear. And it's more than a purpose. So can you kind of describe what a quest is and, and why we need it? Of course. Yeah. A quest is really powerful. And we found it very powerful in, in our work with our clients because it's essentially a higher ambition that transcends commercial goals. So people have different ways of talking about this, but it really is kind of a galvanizing force for the organization to rally around. Something that inspires and helps people understand what the North Star of the organization is and what decisions should be made as a result. I want to stress the decision-making side because, you know, a a quest without any action, again, to go back to the, the idea of story, doing a quest without any action is kind of empty promises. And we really believe that you have to take your quest and think about how that ladders into your organization and into your customer experience and how that actually changes and inspires what action you take. So can you give us an example of a quest for a company so we can kind of See what, see what it sounds like? Yeah, of course. I'll, I'll give it a, a general one because I think it's helpful. You know, I think, I think that Tesla has a really strong quest. And I think the, the cool thing about Tesla's quest is that it's not about creating more electric vehicles. It's about actually upending the hydrocarbon economy, right? And so that enables them to think about all of the different business units and lines that they would create, including solar panels and thinking about like the entire energy grid as opposed to just creating electric vehicles. So I think there's something really powerful about that broader perspective. And do you think that teams can have a quest or does it have to be at the organizational level? You know, this is a, this is a big debate um, that we always have at, at Co-Collective to be transparent with you. We really feel like a quest lives at the organizational altitude, but that teams having a shared purpose is very, very important. So we think that you need to ladder into quest. So for instance, what is an individual team's role in fulfilling that broader quest is the kind of micro quest of the team, but we try not to use the word quest at the team level. Yeah, I feel like that's what I do. I work with teams on their mission statement. So thinking about the company having a purpose or the company having a quest, and then this team has a mission that is in support of that greater quest. Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the big challenges that organizations have when they realize that, you know, there's a, there's kind of a broader mission or quest at the, at the organizational altitude level. 
and that teams don't necessarily know their specific role or an individual's role in fulfilling that broader mission or purpose. And that creates inefficiency, duplication, ambiguity. And so that that is really important work in terms of aligning those team missions against that broader quest. Completely. And, you know, in addition to just that lack of clarity or ambiguity or duplicative efforts, it's also about motivation, right? Like the quest itself is motivating. And when your team doesn't have anything that it's rallying around on a kind of localized level, I find that it can be demotivating or at least not inspiring, right? You're not getting the best of the team if they don't feel like they're banding together to accomplish some bigger goal. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think one thing that's really interesting in this moment is, as I've observed, even anecdotally, you know, moments when there's really real global suffering and challenges cause people to question uh, more than ever. And so one of the big debates that, that I've been having with myself is, is purpose or, you know, quest, is it more or less important in this moment, in a COVID moment? And I think both, and I'll break it down. I think it's more important because so many people are wondering, like, how am I spending my time? We're given this gift of incredible perspective in moments like this, where there's sort of universal challenges that we face as kind of humanity. And it causes a lot of people to rethink how they spend their time. And all of a sudden, there's this micro focus on like, what is important to me? What matters? And so it causes people to look at the work that they do on a daily basis and say, is this meaningful? Is this worthy? Is this in terms of how I could be spending my time the way I want to spend it. And on the other side of that coin, you also have the opposite, which is, you know, we're going into, we've entered a period of real economic uncertainty, a lot of job loss. And so people also on the other side of the coin feel like they have less of a choice in kind of Maslow's hierarchy of of fulfilling your needs. If you feel like you have less of a choice in terms of just feeling lucky to have a job, then you're going to look less at whether that purpose is ultimately fulfilling to you. So I think you have that tension in the system right now. I completely agree. And I feel like in some ways, this is why it's even more important for managers and companies to be doing this kind of culture work because nobody wants to be a company where people are employed there simply because they have no other choice. The good thing about having a booming economy in some ways is that culture becomes almost like a competitive thing, right? Where if you want to attract and retain good talent, you know, you have to be thinking about your culture intentionally. You have to be thinking about the experience of your employees. But when things are really tough, right, I can see how culture just falls to the bottom because it's not that important, right? There's there's so much other stuff that people are thinking about and companies are thinking about just in terms of survival. And yet that makes it even more important because the rest of our lives are so, you know, up in the air in some ways that making work and making your teamwork and making your company a place that is where people can come to thrive is just, to me, seems like even more important than ever. Yeah. And I guess I would take that a step farther to say that I I believe culture is always a competitive advantage. And the reason that I believe it's always a competitive advantage is even in moments when it's not about necessarily retaining top talent that could go elsewhere, it is always about engagement, right? And the reason that people put in more effort, try harder, are more engaged in problem solving for the organization, are more invested in the work, are delivering better results, it's very, very related to how much they respect the organization and feel that it has integrity and feel strong, meaningful relationships with their coworkers and community. And those hyper-local relationships are really a huge piece of what inspires people to engage and deliver and show up 
both emotionally and physically. And so if we kind of let those things drop off, then what we lose is enormous productivity, enormous productivity loss. And so that's what I would say. It's always important, not just about top talent, but about engagement throughout the organization. Yeah, I completely agree. So if there's, you know, one thing that managers can be thinking about right now in terms of investing in their culture or, you know, thinking about their own leadership, what would you suggest people do right now, especially given the fact that we are kind of transitioning with work from home, with so much unemployment, with, you know, teams kind of being dislocated, some teams maybe being partially on site again? Is, is there something in particular you would suggest that managers do during this period? If you do one thing, it's focus on building a community because community is always really powerful in organizations, but it's even more powerful in this moment. We're distributed, we're isolated, we're disconnected, and we need to think about how we continue to establish those connections and create this sense of an entity that is a whole, right? And so I think that the most important thing managers can do right now is think about what does it mean to be a part of a community that is your team or that is your organization? And one concept that has been really floating around my head um, is this idea of kind of emotional metabolism. And I always believe that managers tend to under-communicate. And I think this is a moment where things are changing so quickly. There's so much uncertainty that you need to over-communicate even beyond. You need to over-check in. You need to, if you, were, if you knew you were kind of doing it, underdoing it before, you need to overdo it. One thing that we found really successful at Co is we've started really upping the metabolism of how we check in with our community, which means that we're now running weekly pulse checks. We are now doing two all like town halls a week, one focused on just a community check-in and one focused on share out of what's going on. And we're sharing back repetitively that feedback and what we're hearing back to the community so that we can continue to evolve and keep information super transparent. And that's been really powerful. I love that. Another company that I'm working with has started doing these weekly all company emails where they share kind of like the top level numbers and they share stories that they've heard from employees and from customers. And they put me on the email list and it's great. And I love it. And I've heard from the people that I work with how much better it is and how, how connected they feel to this company because they're actually hearing from leadership and they're hearing stories from, even though they're employees that they don't all know, but they're hearing stories and they just, it's just so much better than it used to be where things were kind of like a black box. So I am full on board with more community, more connection points. Yeah. And if you don't create the narrative, then people create their own, right? And a lot of times the narratives we create by ourselves are about the challenges, about the difficulties. The metaphor that I use over and over again is when you're in a plane and the, you hit some turbulence, think about how quickly your own brain can cock the narrative of what's happening before the pilot comes on the, the loudspeaker and tells you that it's okay, right? So I think that that's the role of leaders in this moment to continue to communicate, even if what you're communicating is, I don't know, <laughs> that mm -hmm. that is powerful, that silence has its own narrative. Completely. So we are coming to the end of our time. So I would love for you to tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so awesome. Oh, I've, I've been really privileged to work with some amazing, amazing leaders. But one I would love to call out in particular is a woman that I worked with whose name is Jenny Gad. She and I worked together, I think over now it was eight years ago. And, and I didn't have the privilege of working directly for her because she was leading the production team. 
but she was one of the best managers that I've ever witnessed. Even when she was at her busiest, if, if one of her team members or anyone from the organization came over to talk to her, she would be very clear and kind that she could either speak in that moment or that she would come and find you when she was available. She was incredibly specific about the feedback and direction and growth that she structured for her team members. And she did it all with incredible grace and power. It was not about, you know, being nice or she was very crystal clear and she held her authority and integrity beautifully. So I really admire her leadership and continue to admire her leadership to this day. Oh, she sounds amazing. She is. And uh, where can people learn more about you, Kit, and the work that you do? You can find me on LinkedIn. Just look up my name, Kit Krugman, or I'm also on Twitter at Kit Krugman. And CoCollective's website is cocollective.com. And if you type in backslash reinvention, that's where you can find a lot of our organization and culture work and thinking. Thank you so much for being a guest. This was super fun. It was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Kit has generously offered a free one-hour coaching call to one member of the Modern Manager community drawn at random. So to be eligible, you must be a member by September 1st, 2020. And you will also be eligible for the Collective Mindset Report offered by last week's guest, Ryan Godfordson. So go to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more about membership levels and perks. And don't forget that if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. When you go to themodernmanager.com slash join, you'll see a button to click to get the discount. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which of course is at themodernmanager.com. Lastly, I have an ask. Would you be part of the research for my next book? If you have worked for a great manager, I would be forever grateful if you would share your experience with me during a 45-minute interview. Go to managerialgreatness.com to learn more and book a time for us to talk. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager, you're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.